For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. So good morning. My name is Asian Nancy Easton, and oh my goodness, I want to talk to you today about right speech um, and many elements related to that. Um, and hopefully we can have a little bit of a conversation about this. Uh, you know, I don't have to tell you that we are living in a deeply challenging time. Um, we have the pandemic that has been raging for goodness, I think eight or nine months now. And on top of that, we have ways in which the pandemic has exposed or maybe highlighted is a, is a better word um, because these things were present, but it's, it's highlighted um, and inc- increased our awareness of systemic racism and inequity. And in particular, with respect to access to healthcare and financial resources, the pandemic has also impacted our economy. Maybe it's impacted your personal budget. It's contributed certainly to an increasingly polarized political scene, which is heating up even more so with, you know, an election coming up in less than two months. And I think it's probably also related to, you know, the climate change related events like forest fires, tornadoes, hurricanes that are, it seems like just increasingly devastating. And so... You know, most people I know, and probably most people you know, are feeling stressed and agitated and distressed. And that's a hard thing to sit with. I think our our human tendency when we're faced with a lot of distressing situations is to try to... Um, you know, figure out who, who, who authorized this, you know, who could, who can we blame? We want to blame someone. And yet the causes of these things are pretty vast, you know, and pretty, pretty interconnected. So what do we do? Um, well, in particular, what it seems like we do in 2020 is we especially, partly because we can't, readily get together and talk face-to-face with other people, maybe, but also because we have this technology available, what we increasingly seem to do is we post politically charged messages on Facebook. And um, I have, I saw a message from a friend this week that actually said, you know, not allowing politics on your feed is itself a political statement. So, you know, whether, whether we disagree with those things or, or not, or, or agree with them. Um, you know, I have to wonder whether all of our one-sided posting, you know, hurling messages at the other side, is that really helping? I would, igno- I would argue, and I'm going to argue that it's, that it's hurting. And, you know, I've, I've personally seen family members 
unfriend and turn their backs on other family members because of postings or arguments in this public forum. I have had other family members and friends make broad sweeping generalizations about liberals or conservatives or Dems or Republicans, you know, in response to a post. And and what it seems to me to be happening is that everyone seems to just cling more tightly to their entrenched views. And we start to create, you know, fixed views on things. So what are we actually doing, you know, when we're, when we're posting these things and, and when we're making these statements out to the world in general, you know, are we having a dialogue or are we just shouting? You know, I think we're, we could argue that we are exercising our right to free speech but is it really right speech? And so I'm, that's sort of the focus of my talk today. And hopefully we'll, we'll maybe all have ideas about how we can um, engage more in right speech. So what is right speech? It come, right speech comes from, it's one of the dimensions of the Noble Eightfold Path, which comes from the fourth of the four noble truths. So, you know, as you may remember, the four noble truths are the truth about suffer, of, that suffering is pervasive in life, that the second noble truth is that suffering arises from our grasping at things we want and pushing away things we don't want, or, you know, our greed, hate, and delusion. The third noble truth is that there can be an end to suffering. And the fourth noble truth it expands on the means for ending suffering for ourselves and for others. And, and the means for doing that is the Eightfold Path, which I'll just run through the eight dimensions. One is right view, which is based on non-individuality and interconnectedness. Um, the second is right intention, which means really applying oneself to renunciation, um, refraining from harming or, you know, and applying oneself to non-harming. Um, the third is right speech, which is most basically avoidance of lying, slander, and gossip. But as I will elaborate shortly, there's, there's a lot more to that. Um, right action would be the fourth, which means basically avoiding actions that cause harm and embracing actions that help and promote beneficial action. Fifth would be right livelihood, avoiding professions that are based on harm. The sixth would be right effort, which is cultivation of wholesomeness in our lives and and in the lives of others. Seventh would be right mindfulness, which is ongoing mindfulness of the reality of interconnection and and how that manifests in life. And the eighth would be right samadhi or right concentration or cultivating awareness. I want to talk and, and elaborate more on right speech. And right speech has, from, from Buddha, from the teachings of Buddha, has really four components. The first component is abstaining from false speech. You know, that, that's one of our precepts is that we abstain from false speech. We don't lie. We don't tell things that are known to be untrue. And... This tendency toward false speech 
may have its roots in all three of the three poisons, greed, hate, and delusion. So if, if our false speech is motivated from greed, our motivation is generally to enhance oneself. If our, if our false speech comes from hatred, it's, it, our motivation is generally to harm others. And if our false speech arises from delusion, it has to do with, it's when we're maybe repeating false statements for entertainment purposes or to stir things up and agitate or just habitually, you know, we, we, don't, we don't think about the validity of our speech. Um, and, but, and false speech is really problematic um, because it destroys trust. And when it destroys trust, it destroys our relationship. Speech is all about how we engage in our relationships with, with other beings. Um, and so false speech destroys trust and it creates chaos. I had the opportunity almost exactly a year ago today to um, meet the American political analyst, Donna Brazil. And in the address that she gave at my, the university where I work, she said, people don't trust government. They don't trust Wall Street. They don't trust the church. They don't trust the media. She had went on to add a couple other things that I think included medicine. We don't trust medicine. We don't trust farmers. We don't trust our leaders. And her point was that trust is at an all-time low and I, I want to say that to be or, or to become trustworthy people, we need to speak truthfully and we need to not repeat things that we, that we read or hear without really checking and studying the source of, of where those things came from. The second component of right speech is abstaining from slanderous speech. So slanderous speech is basically just saying things in order to create dissension or discord, to alienate one person from another, to harm someone's reputation um, or, or harm in some way. It's usually motivated by aversion or hate, you know, and the intention is it's a premeditated actually intention to create harm. Sometimes maybe we unintended, Maybe increasingly, we unintentionally say things that create dissension or discord, but, but slanderous speech is intended to do that. Um, the opposite would be speech that promotes friendship and harmony. Although when I say that, it's important to remember that we also have to be truthful. We can't just be speaking for the purpose of manipulating others to, you know, be friendly or, or like us or, you know, because that's, that's more false speech. Oh, I have a friendly spider. Hopefully friendly spider. The third component of right speech involves abstaining from harsh speech. So traditionally, we think about abusive speech or speech that's insulting or sarcasm. I would also argue that part of harsh speech involves confrontation or making others wrong. Um, when we when we confront others, we have a tendency to actually create self and other. There's me over here and you over there, and that can be hard not to do, for sure. But it's 
but it also it creates division and harshness um it's i think it's you know also rooted in aversion and it goes against some of our most basic teachings there's a passage from dogen in the his his fascicle on four the four integrative methods of bodhisattvas in which he talks about kind speech and i'm going to read this to you Dogen says that kind speech means that in looking upon living beings, one should first arouse a mind of kindness and love and should utter caring, kind words. It is the absence of harsh speech. In ordinary ordinary social convention, there is the etiquette of asking if someone is well or not. In Buddhism, there is the expression, take care, and the ethical conduct of asking how someone is. To speak with the thought in one's heart of kindly minding living beings as one would a baby is kind speech. Those with virtue, one should praise. Those without virtue, one should pity. Once one has taken to kind speech, one will gradually increase kind speech. Therefore, hitherto unknown and unseen kind speech will appear. As long as one is alive now, one should gladly speak kindly. Then one will never regress life after life. The conquering of enemies and the harmonization of rulers is based on kind speech. To hear kind speech, one's face gladdens the countenance and pleases the heart. Hearing kind speech indirectly makes a deep impression on the mind. You should know that kind speech comes from a kind heart, and a kind heart has goodwill as its seed. One should learn that kind speech has the power to turn the heavens. It is not just praising the able. So that's what Dogen has to say. And I think it's important to bear in mind that kind speech does not have to just be nice. We can disagree with people. We can and we can and should, but I think there are there, it's important to think about how are we doing that? You know, are we are we doing it in such a way that we are setting up a self who according to us is right and an other who is wrong? Nobody likes to occupy that wrong position and people when we when we get put in that wrong position, we we have a tendency to want to defend ourselves or feel like we have to defend ourselves. And so, how do we find a way to disagree without using harsh confrontive speech. You know, I would, I would suggest that, that one way we could talk with others is to say, you know, I'm thinking about it differently or, um, you know, or something along those lines, or, you know, I, I, I see it a little differently. One thing that we know from practice and um and and from from some of our study of dogen also is that all of our views are a little bit wrong They're, that we because of our natural tendency to maximize things that we you know in some things as important and minimize other things as as unimportant we are always seeing things in a little bit of a distorted way and when we put those thoughts based on our distorted perceptions out there into speech, they become fixed, you know, especially when they're in a printed medium. Um, 
or a recorded medium. It's, it's like we have a, you know, all of a sudden our, our thoughts have suddenly become a fixed view and we can very easily create division. So, so another, so another aspect of right speech and from, and kind speech is that I think it, 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 it really is based upon practices of patience and generosity you know, learning to tolerate differences of opinion without retaliating, you know, learning to tolerate blame and criticism from others um, who feel compelled to retaliate and finding a way to, um, you know, listen to the message that's below the speech um, with, with others in our, in our political scene right now. I have, I have heard, I have, I have friends who are, liberal. I have friends who are conservative. And honestly, both sides think that the other is destroying our country. And so one thing we can agree on is that we care about what happens. And, and maybe it's possible through using right speech to get to the message below the, the stated words about what we what we want to see happen, what 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 is important to cultivate, rather than just what we don't like and and what we hate. And so, right speech. All of the all of the facets of the noble eightfold path actually interconnect. You know, they they each depend on and are informed by the other. So, right speech. I think has a lot to do uh, with our right view or, you know, recognizing our interconnectedness and right intention. So applying ourselves to actively trying to not harm and to renounce our, our tendency towards division. Can we hear the message below the words? Can we, can we, in the U S you know, can we deeply listen to those of us with opposing points of view? And can we listen to our own motivations that make us want to shut others down? This is where we need to develop our patience to just be able to ride out that feeling of frustration and anger and, and process that a little bit and maybe wait until we've metabolized that a little before we speak. So Abstaining from harsh speech, I think, is hugely, hugely important if we want to help our situation. I think it's, it's certainly been said before, but I'll say it again. Our current situation, you know, we, we maybe want to blame our leaders and our, and, and our prominent political figures, but our, our, the roots of our problems go far beyond that and have everything to do with a very, very deep division among all of us, you know, all, all of us ordinary people in our country and our world. And until and unless we can find a way to ease some of that polarization, I think we're going to be still, you know, in the same spot. I don't think this is a new idea. So that's the third aspect of right speech. I do want to go on to the fourth, which is refraining from idle chatter. So what this means is you could, you could 
say the word gossip and that's part of it, but it's also, you know, it's pointless talk that really lacks purpose or depth. And I would, I would argue that some of the, you know, the one liners that people like to post on social media fall into this category. I mean, they're pithy and sometimes they're hilarious, but they, it just, it, it, it doesn't promote a real dialogue. You know, I think we, we need to be very careful about how much idle chatter we allow into our lives. You know, we do, I think, I think we just do as social beings require some amount of small talk in order to just start to connect with each other to, in order to open up the possibility of relationships with others, but too much can leave our minds and our speech very passive, vacant, sterile, and in today's world, um, just very one-sided. And it doesn't do, are we speaking in such a way that we are inviting an opening for dialogue and thought, or are we speaking in such a way that we are closing things down? I think that's something to, to think about and look at. You know, as Zen practitioners, we know that all beings are interconnected and that all events and phenomena are interdependent. You know, this is the truth of dependent co-origination or dependent co-arising, that when this arises, that arises, that things come together as, as one thing. But we really can sometimes act as though one person or a a group of persons is the problem. And if we could just change their way of thinking and really prove to them, you know, once and for all, how wrong they are, then everything would be okay because we are right. And we don't see the ways in which they see us as the problem. And, you know, whether, whether this is right or wrong, this is unlikely to change without dialogue because we're both a little bit right and we're all a little bit wrong. Um, just as I, because of, of the human qualities that I mentioned earlier of grasping at some ideas and pushing away other ideas and maximizing some things and minimizing others, we, none of us are objective. But dialogue, as we know, is very difficult. (laughs) Right speech is based on a deep awareness of our dependent co-arising, and it starts with listening. So we could think about um, the importance in our speech of silence, refraining from speaking, but also listening, really listening to the other. You know, we need to listen to ourselves. What do we think? What do we feel? What do we want? We need to listen to others like ourselves so that we can inform our opinions. And we need to listen to others who seem very different from us because that informs our opinions too. And aside from helping us to broaden our own opinions, others have a tendency not to listen to us without our also listening to them, you know, some, sometimes first, but often at the same time. So I want to emphasize two points to consider when we are listening. We want to first consider whether there may be some truth to what the other seems to be, you know, is the seeming other is saying. 
And we want to also reflect on whether there may be some unacknowledged shadow side to what we want or what we are saying. You know, in what ways are we grasping at something, pushing away other things, and engaging in a little bit of our own delusion? So that when we speak, we would, we would ideally be better able to choose words that connect, that form a bridge to mutual understanding. You know, mutual understanding depends on the trust and goodwill of both parties. It's very hard to build when one or both parties are feeling attacked. So how can we break down that Space in which we are and others feel under attack? How can we develop trust in ourselves and become trustworthy? And I want to say that this is, I think, really the heart of practice. This is the heart of studying ourselves. It is an application of studying ourselves, um, studying our greed, hate, and delusion, and how they might be motivating us in this realm of the things that we say, which of course are based on the things that we think. Um, you know, what are we secretly grasping at and pushing away? What are our motives in any, any one moment? And how are our thoughts, speech, and actions, our body, speech, and mind creating or destroying our connections with others? I think especially with social media, once we speak something or put something out there, it tends to become fixed. You know, people see only the surface or one-sided view of us, and we don't always have the opportunity to go deeper, which is why I think it's important that we find ways to make the opportunity to go a little bit deeper or to even, especially, um, you know, when we this isn't really, I'm, I'm not sure which dimension of, of right speech this falls under, but when we recognize that maybe we're wrong to say so, you know, others, others don't know that we are able to look at ourselves until we really give them some evidence and demonstrate that we can and that we are able to take in new information, new information that's discordant with information that we've already said we believe. And by doing so, I think we increase our ability to refrain from alienating others. So just to close this talk, and maybe we can move into um, ooh, some dialogue, you know, I, I want to just pose some questions. Can, you know, can we use our communication to build bridges with others rather than to condemn them? And can we find, how can we find ways to productively talk about change we want to see and to work together and to broaden our in-group to include many, many other different views? So with that, I will close and thank you for your attention. And hopefully we can have a little chat. Thank you. I think if uh, if our host could, um, yes, yes, I oh there we go. I wasn't I was I was only able to see you.
David, for this talk, but now I can see about 24 people. So, oh, dear. Yeah, I'm I'm, oh no, I'm that's, no, that's great. That I'm was, not going to imagine the experience you had. So if, I, I think most people know, but um, you can, if you're visible on, on the screen, you can raise your hand in the ordinary way. Uh, you can also use the raise hand uh, button on the participants. Uh, if you click on participants, you'll see a place where you can raise your hand. And I will be on the lookout as best I can, going back and forth from screen to screen. Thank you. I think I see Eve. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Well, yeah, I shouldn't, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right about the need right now for for ways of listening and listening across and dialoguing across difference. And I don't know how much you guys know about there's actually a lot of action in this arena. Um, and, I mean, I got involved with the, um, the Center for Counsel um, from the Zen Life and Meditation Center. Do you... Do you, do you know those people? No, no, I don't. So council um, is, you know, uh, the practice of doing talking circles. Oh, okay. And in the late 60s, there was a group of people, including Joan Halifax, who's an anthropologist as well as a Zen priest. Um, and um, they synthesized the indigenous practices of many cultures around talking circles and made some adjustments like speak lean uh, for the contemporary context. Um, and Jared side, and I actually found out about Jared just from the Zen peacemakers order. He, he wrote a piece on using council in Bosnia that just blew me away. And I, I went to, um, to, uh, Roshi Joshin and said, I want to go to California and get training. And he said, we don't need to, we're going to bring Jared here. So Jared's actually come um, twice to Chicago and I took the level one training, but for people interested, um, center for council has um, they're doing online council circles now on, I think Tuesdays and Thursdays. So you just go to centerforcouncil.org. I can put the thing in the chat. Yeah, please do. But so they've been using, I mean, for years now, Jared's been working in prisons and and also working with wardens as well as inmates. Um, they also, um, and there's a lot of powerful stuff on their website about their work there. Um, they're working with nonprofit organizations. I went to a meeting, the online um, session they had a couple weeks ago talking about their work. Um, they have a program now to support nonprofit organizations to get council training um, and to use it to advance equity. So, you know, they're intersecting with the concerns now about, about racism and how to use council to address that in organizations and in both in their internal work and their work with clients. Um, and um, that, uh, and, and I've used council um, practice um, with the incoming students in the program I teach in. Um, and, and people, you know, I've gotten good feedback on that. Mm-hmm. But, um, and there's an also, I mean, outside of 
the Zen world, there's, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, of course, Center for Counsel works, um, uh, you know, outside of Zen context too. It's just that, I mean, Jared is, I mentioned him because he is tied to the, the Zen, you know, he's part of the Zen Peacemakers Order and, and, and he worked with Bernie Glassman. Um, and, you know, part of Bernie's vigils that he did at Auschwitz were, were using counsel, a big part of it. But um, anyway, in the wider world, uh, the Bridge Alliance is a website that lists, um, I think, about 30 different organizations now that are working on, on dialogue and using dialogue to bridge the red-blue divides in the, in, in the U.S., um, so I've had some connection with Braver Angels. Um, it used to be Better Angels, now it's Braver Angels. And then Living Room Conversations. I like Living Room Conversations better. Um, their model's a little more open-ended. But one of my, my friend, Dan Wolf, just got involved with it's the National Coalition for uh, these Dialogue and Democracy. And they're doing some sessions right now. In fact, he just called me a few minutes ago to tell me that, that they, their session with, uh, they're working with the police in Los Angeles um, with police and youth. And they had their first session last Monday and he said it, it went well. Um, and and that's a coalition of people that are um, using, it, it both, you know, have facilitation skills and are developing them um, to try to, you know, bridge differences and, um, help people listen to each other. Thank you. You are always such a wonderful source of information about things that are going on in the world. I, that is hugely important work to do with organizations. And, and, and I'm really interested in counsel and getting, you know, um, like, and both facilitating and, and, you know, participating in counsel. So if anybody else is interested, you know, let me know. Yeah, please post information in the chat box for for those who are interested in joining you. So we can we can do this work in large groups and we can do it one on one. You know, we can do it with each other or with our friends and family members. David. Thank you Aishin, so much for that talk. Thank you for the the tone of kindness. And, and talking talking about talking in a way that that you know that I haven't heard much of lately. Thank you. Um, I have a question about I don't know how to put this. Um, your your thoughts about the, the the way to deal with the particular problem of of attitudes toward language, suspicion of language itself, suspicion that like if somebody's talking to me that they're that they're just trying to spin talk as propaganda, the fact that language doesn't just communicate, language also bewitches and, 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 you know, befuddles people. And I think that's a big part of what people distrust. And, and it seems like that makes it even harder to enter into dialogue if somebody is not, not just mistrusting what I'm saying, but, or, or what, but mistrusting the, you know, the power of language itself. Yeah, I think, um, when, when you talk about that, what comes to mind for me most prominently is our motivations and how do we, how do we look at our motivations and how do we convey our motivations to others? You know, no, 
nobody ever trusted somebody because they said, hey, you can trust me. Um, that, that tends to make us really not trust people. So um, that seems like a, an important and skillful application of listening and listening to the other so that they know we're really hearing them and, and not, not just looking, not just listening to them so that it looks like we're really hearing them, but, but finding ways of using active listening, um, like, you know, repeating back to someone, I think what I heard you say was this, and being honest, you know, with, with ourselves and with them. If we, if we say, you know, I, I hear what you say, but I, I just can't see it that way. I think, you know, a, a combination of, of patience and generosity and honesty in, in our listening is, is, is going to be helpful. People, people often know when we're telling the truth at a level below our, you know, words. There's, there's, there's that unspoken, you know, intuitive communication that we have together and that can really break down. Yeah, more than some, I think you've said more than sometimes it's harder with family members. It really is. And yet, at least with family members, we do have the opportunity to talk with them one-on-one. I've actually um, taken things down from social media when family members start to express discordant opinions because I don't want to fight with my family members in a public forum where we can't actually talk. You know, when I, when I see this family member, I will talk with them one-on-one and try to... Um, try to use some of these, these techniques of active listening. I see Ashley. Hi. Um, thank you for your talk. Uh, I don't know. There was, I think two things I wanted to say. Um, so I, I just started a new job, homeless outreach like a month and a half ago. And so I guess there's two things I was wanting to say about that. One, which kind of goes back to your talk earlier earlier in your talk, I should say. And that's just meeting people where they're at. So, you know, a lot of times um, I'll expect them to be like up here, you know, and they are not up there <laughs> at all, like not even close. And so just meeting them where they're at and listening to what they have to say then and there, and maybe not necessarily assuming that their goals or their needs are what I think they need or what they should want you know, and just, and just, yeah, like, like I said, meeting them where they're at and helping them where they're at. And I think that's a huge part of social work. It's not, oh, the court says you need this or CPS says you need this or your treatment plan says you need this. This is what you think you, you need. And so this is what we need to work on. Um, And kind of to go with that, with what David was saying was, yeah, you can say, um, I'm here to help you. You know, I'm not going to expect anything in return because that's kind of a huge thing with the homeless population is, oh, what do you what are you going to uh, give to me in exchange for this? Um, it's just spending that time um, and just doing things with them to show that, you know, you're, you're there to help. You're not just there because someone is telling you to be there or that you get paid to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that daily in and out mm-hmm. every day of showing that you're the stable person. 
And that's what gets them and really everybody, right, to trust you. Um, so it's, it's not just your words, it's your actions. And I would also say to some degree that they can, they can kind of tell the vibe that you give out. Um, they can tell whether you're being genuine or not. Um, and I think it's just all of those things um, in whatever population you're working with that's really going to determine how open people are with you. And in exchange or, you know, sometime down the road, maybe their opinions might change. Maybe they won't. But thank you. Thank you. I, I think, yes, meeting people where they're at and, and also, you know, acknowledging what our own motivation is with helping people. You know, what are why? What, what kinds of help do they feel like they need and what kinds of help do we think they need and um, why, are we, why are we helping? It's, I think that um, white people, you know, middle-class white people have often been a little bit guilty for bringing that perspective to people of color or people from, you know, other socioeconomic um, dimensions and we tend to not, we tend to overlook maybe what does the other have to bring us? How, it, how can we enrich each other rather than, you know, we're going to be the magnanimous givers and we'll, and you'll, you're the receivers. So how do we allow for that mutuality in a relationship that, you know, in the time of Buddha, um, or I forget if this was maybe one of the stories about, um, Buddha's life, past lifetimes, um, he offered a mud pie, you know, and, and that as a, as a child, and that was what he had to offer. But it's, but it's a gift, you know, everybody has gifts. And so that's another, you know, aspect that we can, can bring to our listening is recognizing that the other may have gifts to give us if we can let go of our ideas and, and, our, and our own, you know, thoughts about who we are and what this context is. Asian, uh, I know I know Deborah's hand is up, but um, but Dylan has texted has chat uh, texted in chat a question, and his question is: Is Buddha a person? Oh, Buddha is um, wisdom for sure, and and Buddha really means awake to be awake, you know, and and so the Buddha was really someone who was awake. He he didn't say you know that's my name, call me Buddha. It was that. He said, you know, I'm, I'm just awake. I'm, and, and so that's, thanks Dylan, that's a great reminder for how we, how we interact with others. Can we bring that quality of being awake? And we have to, you know, we have to wake up in every moment to what's happening because the situation is constantly changing. So how do we bring that quality of awakeness and Buddha to to our interactions with others. My cursor is frozen. So I'm a little bit of a hostage, but thank you for, uh, if anybody's texting anything um, or, or texting it in the chat, please feel free to say. I, I think Deborah might be the, the person whose hand up is next. Okay, thank you. Hi, Deborah. Hi, sorry. Hey, thank you so much for that wonderful talk. I really appreciate you connecting um, right speech to not only all of the, you know, Eightfold Path, but also the Paramitas. I think that they're just a wonderful 
connection to stabilized practice, considering abundance, you know, the generosity ideas and that, and that, and patience, all of that. But I wanted to share a resource. Um, I've been teaching in a jail for eight years, and I ran into a fellow named Marshall Rosenberg, who developed a model called nonviolent communication. And I had to teach, uh, it was a four page, started out with a four page information source for me, but it's led to an eight year involvement with his teachings. He's now deceased. But he has a foundation. It's headquartered in Tucson. They do, it's international, and they really just simply offer a way. He created a simple model. It's based on empathy. But it's really helped me expand my um, practice as a Buddhist, as well as working with inmates, trying to have them get over, you know, greed, hate, anger, and delusion. It's a very profound teaching. Again, you can, it doesn't mean anything unless you practice it in the organization provides all these wonderful practice opportunities. I'm personally still in two practice groups. It's not easy to communicate compassionately. And, I also, and I've come to this awareness personally, unless we have empathy and compassion for ourselves, it's really hard to extend that to someone else. So it's a very deep practice. Um, and I use my, you know, I, I, I call it connecting to my body, which I've learned through Zazen. So I just wanted to share that. I can type that in the chat. So thank you. Thank you. That sounds like a really important experience of um, trying to bring something to people who have every reason to be suspicious of, you know, ourselves and our motives and why we're bringing this to them. And and yet I, I imagine that you have seen lots of change, you know, within yourself and, and within the people that you are talking with. So that I, I bet that's a very helpful practice. So thank you. Please do post it in the chat. And maybe maybe someone could compile these resources. Thank you, David. I will copy the I'll copy the chat and compile. Thanks. I see Brian. Hi. Are, are you hearing me? I can hear you. Thank you. I have a question, um, and this may relate more to interpersonal. Um, examples of this, what we're talking about than other things, I'm not sure, but um, making an effort to speak respectfully and listen and consider our own motivations um, and the other's point of view is good. Uh, I'm wondering if sometimes we assume that this will ease polarization and whether we're attached to the outcome because what if the other insists on keeping a separation of right and wrong? And, uh, you know, I'm in a situation right now with a very difficult, um, conflicted uh, lawsuit in my condominium association. And these are my neighbors. And there are uh, a few people who seem to be fixed on insisting on right and wrong and separation. And my question really is, what then is required of us in terms of practice? It may be something like sacrifice, uh, abstaining from speech. I I don't know. How would you respond to that? I'm not sure if I completely understand the situation. Um, I'm I'm definitely sure. I don't mean, I don't understand what you mean by sacrifice in that context. Well, abstention, let's say abstaining from speech 
putting aside our own desire to defend ourselves, something like that. That's um, one example, but I wonder how, how you might respond to that kind of a situation in terms of right speech when it is like that. I still think I maybe don't really understand this situation. Um, you have a party who is aggrieved and they've brought a lawsuit against you and other people. Well, it's complicated and I don't want to go into it really, okay. but, but it's really, I'm just talking about the kind of situation where if you're, if you have different points of view and some conflict with other people and you're doing your best to, to practice right speech in terms of listening and being understanding and looking at your own motivation and the other insists on separation and self and other and making you wrong mm-hmm. at, at that point, what is right speech for me? Okay. Um, You know, right speech in this or any context might involve looking at the long view and the long view, I guess this is, this is just my opinion. The long view may extend beyond the time limits of a lawsuit or an election or, you know, right speech means that we may lose right now. And that we don't give up. You know, that's that's what a bodhisattva does is we we hang in there and we continue to try, even though we may not be able to um, change a situation right now. Um, You my idea is that you will probably still have to live with these people and they will have to live with some of the karmic effects of whatever it is that is happening um, and as bodhisattvas, you know, we don't, we don't turn away from anyone. We maybe need to be silent or we need to take a little break for our own mental health, but we don't turn our backs on them, you know, and, and just throw up our hands and say, you know, forget it. I'm out of here. Um, we just, we just hang in there. That sounds like a really uncomfortable situation. Mm. And perhaps at some point there will be the opportunity to speak in a different way um, because we don't know what the future might hold for those folks you know they may I don't I don't know what the situation is but they may need some cooperation from others in the future and that may lead to opportunities to heal the the rift that, that maybe there aren't opportunities to heal right now. Does that, does that help at all? Yeah, it does. What I'm hearing is uh, continue through the long haul to uh, maintain right speech in spite of what effect you might think it is having or not having. Yeah. I hope that it is not having too deleterious an effect on you personally, but I understand that it might be. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oops, sorry. Asian, Kathy's hand uh, was up earlier, and then I, then I see Tygen's hand. Uh, just okay. to, to quickly follow up on what Asian said, that you mentioned the practice of patience, and just to agree with, with Asian, sometimes one needs to just step back and, and do nothing, obviously, but continue to pay attention, and, and at some point there may be something you can say or do. So it's not about quitting and running away. It's about just hanging in, but 
you know, maybe nothing you can do or say right now. So yes, agreeing with Asia. Yes. And, and not adopting that as a fixed view, you know, that's maybe another aspect of this is that everything is constantly changing. And when we, when we start to label a situation in our mind in a particular way, we start to turn it into a fixed view. And so if you can refrain from doing that, you may find that there are opportunities for, as Jogan said, um, where is it? Okay, once one has taken to kind speech, one will gradually increase kind speech. Therefore, hitherto unknown and unseen kind speech will appear. This may, as you're able to just continue to practice with yourself, it may reveal to you opportunities that you can't see right now. So I, I, I know Kathy oh, okay. wanted to speak. Thank you for the talk and for bringing this up. And, you know, I think it brings a lot to the surface for me in that um, I began Facebook, I don't know, about three years ago. Um, And at times it's interesting because I have family in different regions of of the United States, um, some in Kentucky, some in Indianapolis, some in Virginia, some in California, some in Georgia, um, and um, at times, you know, I first kind of felt like I need to represent myself honestly. You know, it's like I need to let people know what matters to me or take a stand. So sometimes there's that urge to, I need to represent myself in terms of what I feel is an ethical uh, stance. Um, but I find I, and I have family members who are kind of on an opposite um, position uh, sometimes, and um, I find myself inching a little closer sometimes to becoming adamant and more in your face uh, with the kinds of posts that I see and think, yeah, that says it. And so it, there is something about holding that in check, but but also. Uh, representing my views, honestly. Uh, The other thing about this whole conversation, I think, is that, you know, since COVID, I mean, we're online. It seems to me that walls have come down in terms of, we're talking to people all over the country, but a lot of issues come up locally, you know, and I think it's important for us to keep in mind Uh, how opinions and ideas get shaped in local regions, whatever, you know, maybe the economy has been there, the, the main source of income, the uh, way it has transpired over time, there's been a shaping of opinions and ideas. And, um, and so it gets complicated when we, I think we get more into talking points sort of uh, when we're, thinking about this in as the whole country as a whole, when there are regional issues that are very uh, close to home for people uh, that um, mean that they are interpreting certain topics very differently. Uh, like I have a cousin who embarrasses me because she has a shotgun in her Facebook picture, uh, but she lives on a farm by herself. She literally has had to kill foxes so that they don't kill her wild her baby lambs and among other things. And so 
for her, uh, gun control is a very different thing than it is for me. Uh, even though I find that embarrassing and uh, frustrating. Uh, and so I just wanted to say, you know, at a personal level, this gets tricky. Uh, and I think that we almost have to try to get the conversation back to local, regional, what it's like in you in your community or where do the roots of this come from sometimes uh, in order to have more authentic conversations. But thank you for this discussion. It's very helpful. Thank you, Kathy. You have been someone who, um, as long as I've known you, has been open about sharing how hard it can be to talk with um, you know, family members and friends who have very different opinions. So I know you have, I know you have, you're close to people with very different opinions. And so I know you have put a lot of thought into this yourself. And I, um, I don't, I don't, I, I think I, I, I realize now that I should probably say that I, I didn't mean to Im- imply that no one should make political posts. Cause I, I, I don't want to say that either. That wouldn't, that would not be, you know, right speech of me. Um, but I, but I like what you're saying about recognizing that we don't even always know the context that someone is speaking in. We, there is a whole world behind what everyone thinks and says and does. And, um, so, so maybe part of using right speech is finding ways of getting at that whole world, you know, and, and so that we can, so that we can illuminate, um, you know, where, 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 where we have commonalities and where our experiences have been different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So thank, thank you. you. You've always, you've always been a good model for me that way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I struggle. <laughs> I think we all struggle. I think we all do. And I, I've, I've actually been a little bit envious of friends who post things that I agree with because I don't always have, you know, the mental fortitude to, you know, be able to do that and know how I would respond if, you know, when I think about like how it would impact X person or Y person. And mm-hmm. so you know, people, people who post things, I think, have courage as well. Okay. Hey, I saw Paula's hand. Hi, Paula. You're still muted. I'm really no good at this, really, the Zoom <laughs> conversations. <laughs> but anyway... I wanted to thank you, Aishan, for the talk. And right speech is something I feel I've been working on for most of my practice with Buddhism. Um, But I wanted to speak directly to Brian's question. And, um, you know, where communication sometimes have have very high stakes and it could blow up into a, a, a major problem. And, and for me, my practice with that is less is more, less is more. So if it's in person and there's a heated conversation and both parties feel very strongly, and of course, instinctively, we always want to defend our position. In my mind at this point, I, I know I just need to listen. So I, I try to go, okay, I'm in listening mode right now because I know I'm going to say something I regret because that's how I am. So 
I'll tr listen attentively, not with a bad look on my face, an honestly open look, and then um, repeat back, Asian, what you said, like repeat back what I hear the person saying to me so they know I'm really listening to them and I'm hearing them. And I'll sometimes say, I hear what you're saying, I understand your concern. And then the best thing, though, is writing a response because inevitably there's always some kind of little snarky comment. We all know this from email, right? There's always some little snarky comment. So writing out a response, not sending it right away, going back to it, eliminating more language, not sending it out right away, going back to it again, and just communicating exactly what needs to be said and not adding anything into the communication at all. So um, that's what I mean. And, and in short answer, less is more. Less is more. And that really covers my right speech practice 85% of the time. But thank you so much because it is such an important topic right now for us on many levels. Thank you, Polly. You're right. Less is more. <laughs> and, and, and less all that, that also leaves us an opportunity to clarify. You know, that's one of the things I like actually most about giving a talk is the discussion because it gives us the opportunity to, um, you know, have a dialogue about what we're, what we said and how others heard it and what maybe came across and what maybe we needed to clarify or revise. And to think like in this, in our, in our Buddhist setting, in our Zendo setting, we tend to think more before we say something. So we could practice doing that as well and hopefully take that out into the world with us to clarify what we want to say. Thanks. My, my 12 year old nephew, he, he was 12 at the time, um, came to our Sangha a couple years ago uh, with his parents who were visiting me from out of town. And um, he's really into Japanese culture. So they thought that he was going to like really take to like all these, you know, sort of semi-Japanese culture kinds of things in our Sangha. And so we were talking to him afterwards about like, well, what did you think? And, he was, and the, the one thing that stuck out for him was, you know, everybody like waited for, like they rose they raised their hand to speak and then they waited until the other person was completely done talking before they said anything nobody like jumped in and you know started talking in the middle and cut somebody off and we were like oh wow that's that's really interesting that's zen from a from a 12 year old's perspective <laughs> so yeah we we hopefully can increase our thoughtfulness in in how we speak Thank Asian. you. There's a, there's a question from Eileen about where the, where the, uh, the, the source is of, of that quote from Dogen on kindness. And then I see that Nicholas has, has his hand. Oh, up the quote on kind speech is from a fascicle called the four integrative, integrative methods of bodhisattvas from the Shobo Genzo. And this particular fascicle is called Bodhisatta Shishoho. So he talks about the four sort of practices of bodhisattvas, which, are, which start with generosity, move on to kind speech, include beneficial action and cooperation or together action. And then, David, you said something else, but my brain can only process one thing at a time. <laughs> I, I see Nicholas. Oh, Nicholas, Nicholas. Hi. Okay. Hi. 
Thank you for the great talk. Thank um, you. Yeah, it really spoke to uh, what's been going on in my life and um, made me think of um, a conversation that I had with my brother-in-law, who I who was a an, you know big fan of Trump and all of that, and uh, we had a uh, very authentic. Uh, moment and he told he told me about he was telling me that uh, or just expressing like you know like how he didn't understand how someone like me who's so smart and spiritual and kind just didn't get it (laughs) and and I was just floored because that's exactly what I would say to him I was really, it was really a poignant moment. I was speechless, you know, because he, he just listed off all these things and they were the exact same things that I would say to him, exact same things that I would say to him. But, but you have such a difference of opinion. But we have such a complete difference of opinion, you know, it's like, and so it just, that was a real moment that I've, I had recently. And also, um, I just wanted to mention that, uh, for me, right speech includes um, my inner dialogue and, and really starts with that, the way that I talk to myself and, and the, all the opinions and, you know, voices that I have inside of my head is, is uh, really, for me, a good place to start. Um, and I have, a, you know, I have a lot of work to do with right speech, but um, I think it begins in, with me. Um, and also, I've been very kind of floored by how, uh, you know, I, I railed against, you know, the um, Janet Reno's FBI. And, you know, during the AIDS epidemic, we protested the CDC and, you know, hated pharmaceutical companies. And, and now I find myself <laughs> defending the FBI sometimes or, uh, you know, other things that I just I thought I was, you know, like uh, opposed to them. But in this era where they're under attack by Trump, for instance, um, the FBI, um, you know, so that's just a, a funny thing that I'm, when I'm speaking those words to somebody like my sister, my brother-in-law, when we're talking about what's going on and I'm on that side of the fence, it just strikes me as ironic and, you know, that perhaps I'm in some level of delusion. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, life is long. And I think I can just point to the history of Rudy Giuliani as uh, a good example of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, having rose to prominence in, in September 11th, and then from from not being, I think, a very popular, you know, mayor, and, and then really galvanizing people in the middle of a crisis, and then going on to his current career, but uh, that's, that's my political story for today. But, um, but, you know, you bring up a really important point too, which is that right speech has everything to do with our internal speech and the ways that we are constructing the world. When you think about a statement, like if you've ever thought to yourself about someone, she doesn't care. Mm -hmm. And, or, you know, well, he doesn't like me. We think about what that does in your mind to mm-hmm. how, you, how you think about that person and how you start to treat that person and, and your attitudes toward that person. And, um, and, and so we start to, you know, we start to create the world for ourselves 
in the thoughts that are going through our head. And so it's, so it's really important. That's where studying ourselves comes into play in practice, that it's really important to look at all the things that we are thinking. You know, we, we can't get through life without um, quantifying things in some way, you know, into, <laughs> into four dimensions. But practice really, you know, deeply involves looking at those beliefs and, and, and sort of holding them up in your mind and saying, you know, does she care? Maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't. You know, allowing some room around that so that we are not, you know, we don't, as Tagan likes to say, don't believe everything you think, you know, so mm-hmm. that we're, we're, we're not disbelieving it, but we're not believing it. I, um, I actually, this is a, just a, maybe too much information about me, but I don't believe almost anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I see these things that, you know, in the news and it's like, yeah, okay. So that's what one person thought or said at one particular time. But I, I try not to hold on to things as being, you know, true or not. I just try, I just try to roll with the situation. Yes. A friend of mine says he, uh, he believes in everything. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's maybe maybe that's the more positive way of of going about it. Right. But but we can get very carried away by our beliefs, you know, and and yes. so it's important to it's important to reckon, recognize that our beliefs are a little bit of delusion that we're 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 heightening something and we're minimizing something. Else. Well, and my speech is born out of my beliefs, right? Out yeah. of my thoughts, out of my experience. Yeah, so Yeah. But reality but is starts. really reality is ambiguous and it and it constantly flows. Yes. And everyone has a view. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everyone has a view and that view is subject to change moment to moment. So <laughs> Yes it is. <laughs> they may not tell you that it's changed, but but it does. So thank you. Thank you for being yeah. here. Thank you. Maybe uh, I, I see Fushin's hand, and maybe we're we're winding up. I see Tiger's yeah. hand. Also. Okay. Go ahead, Tiger. Oh, Fushin, go ahead. I have a capping phrase. Go ahead. I was just going to say that that's really important to consider when we're talking about speaking the truth. You know, you began your talk by saying, you know, it's important to speak the truth. Um. Yeah, but what is the truth? Right. So I hope we can remember that as well. Yeah. So, you know, thank you for the reminder. And maybe that's maybe that's a key point is that our we have to hold things lightly. You know, and, and, and maybe that's maybe that's one of the key elements of practice is to just hold on to things lightly and be ready to change, you know, like a, like a tennis player is ready for the the ball to come over the net in any direction. And they're constantly kind of like this. We just, we just, we just hold on to things lightly and, and try to maintain our sense of humor that, that life can throw us, you know, some real curveballs, And uh, we don't know, we don't, we don't know how we might respond in any given situation or, or others. Thanks. So Tygen. Just, Maybe a good capping phrase for all of this. Uh, William Blake said, everything that can be imagined is an image of the truth. 
I like that. That that it it has at least some element of truth to it. Thank you. That is a good capping phrase. <laughs>